Mike. Glad you could join me for some great seafood. Me too. Wait, why are you dressed in fishing gear? You said we were going out to catch great seafood, right? Yes, to Popeye's. Do you even know how to fish? No, I thought you did. Oh yeah, I could catch pretty good seafood at Popeye's. Let's go. Let Popeye's do the fishing while you enjoy our delicious signature seafood. Get Popeye's flounder fish sandwich or shrimp tackle box before they're gone. Limited time at participating U.S. restaurants. podcast listener and this is a podcast ad reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from lips and ads choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads go to lipsandads.com now that's l-i-b-s-y-n ads.com episode 47 working securely with your virtual staff on the internet my conversation with lindsey corbin of delegate.legal <music> Hello, I'm Michael D. Eisenberg. I'm the Tech Savvy Lawyer, blogging at the techsavvylawyer.page and host of the techsavvylawyer.page podcast. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing lawyers, judges, and others in the area of law to talk about where they see lawyers new and seasoned, taking advantage of technology in their legal work, and how all lawyers can utilize technology to better their practice, improve their services to their clients, and enhance their own lives. My next guest is Lindsay Corbin. Lindsay is the CEO of Delegate.Legal. Delegate.Legal is a leading provider of virtual paralegal services that can easily incorporate itself into existing law firms and businesses. Join Lindsay and me as we discuss keeping your work secure when working with remote paralegals, utilization of tech stacks in a law office, using technology to ensure your staff are all up to speed on client matters, and more. Enjoy. Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I appreciate you being here. And to get things started, I got to ask, what is your current tech setup? So I am one of those individuals that really likes to work with you know desktop type equipment. So I have mm-hmm. two uh, 27-inch uh, 1080p monitors. And then I also have a Dell uh, Vostro desktop tower that I actually really enjoy. And then I also use a Microsoft Surface Pro when I need to go out or when I'm traveling. And I connect everything through Dropbox. Excellent. So did I hear you correctly? Did you say Costco? Dell uh, Vostro. Oh, Vostro. I could have yeah. swore you said Costco. <laughs> I was like, I was like that, that really had me... <laughs> You had my attention, trust me. Yeah, no, it is not a Costco computer. <laughs> Which would have been really interesting, but that's another story for another time. And what version of Windows? And the newest one, which is 11, I think. I've been uh, going through and updating all of them. How do you like it? You know, I've been a Windows user my entire life. Mm-hmm. So on some level, they just kind of roll one into the other. You know, there are things about it that I like, but for the most part, it's just pretty standard. It's, I don't see a ton of difference. I'm sure Microsoft wouldn't enjoy that, but I don't see a ton of difference. I just keep using it. Well, so how long have you been using Windows? Oh, goodness. I think I had my first computer when I was seven or eight years old. Okay. So forgive me. I'm not trying to ask your age or anything, but... So about 30 years. All right. So that being said, did you have Windows 95? Yes. I had Windows 95, uh, then 98, then 2000 was the big one which I think was the major update. And then it all blends together after about 2000. But yes, I've worked with them all. Okay, fair enough. Excellent. And I, and I hear we have a friend in the background. He is in his crate 
three rooms away, but apparently still can't keep his mouth shut. <laughs> well, I got to ask, what's the breed? Cavalier King Charles Spaniel. Oh, and how old? He will be two in August. Excellent. Excellent. I have a two-year-old Catan de Tullier uh, that hang out with me in my office. They're they're both here right now. And I forgot to mention there's a storm uh, coming. Oh. So they're, they're really hanging out with that. But uh, so you shared your computer setup, but you, you have iPhone, I understand, and I, an Apple Watch. I do have an iPhone and an Apple Watch. Yes. And but I do not have an iPad. Okay. Well, hold on. That's not true. You well, said you, ha- you had an iPad, but it's in your drawer. Yes, I had an iPad about probably eight years ago. And that was really before iPad became, it was probably even more than eight years, honestly, before iPad became an extension of your human self, right? So people now walk around with iPads with the keyboard and the the pencil. And honestly, my parents uh, are very loyal, Apple, iPad, Mac, laptop, everything users. But I was never... I never quite adjusted to being away from my Microsoft products, truthfully. I was ingrained in Word and Excel and PowerPoint access databases. So I was never quite okay with pages and numbers and all of the Apple products. You do know that with a Microsoft 365, you could have either Windows or Mac, Word, Excel, and PowerPoint. I could, but I still use Windows. I still use a PC. Fair enough. <laughs> Although I, I encourage you to consider looking at the new iPads with the M1, and, and I think they're coming out with an M2 chip uh, for the iPads, and they, they work very nice. They're not a laptop killer, but they are definitely a great media consumption. And to do some light work, mm-hmm. uh, they're pretty handy. So printers, smart devices, anything else in your office? I have a printer. I just have a Canon uh, inkjet. And then I have this really cool scanner. It only does one page at a time, but it's this Epson, really high quality, tiny little thing, just fits an eight and a half by 11, and it's perfect. And so I, it's a plug and play, you know, and then of course, Bluetooth mouse, Bluetooth keyboard, you know, and then I have a stand up desk, if that's part of my, you know, tech stack is having the stand up desk. It, it is, it is because it's using technology to kind of help you in the practice and to hopefully help with your health. Yep. Do you find the need to have a ADF scanner, you know, a multi-feed scanner? Do you scan I don't in, you know, in the trademark space, we don't deal with a ton of paper. So the scanner that I have is really more for taxes or mm-hmm. for important documents, you know, things like that. Trademark registration certificates, we will frequently have to provide copies to foreign associates, things like that. And then I use it. But I have been very lucky that I haven't found the need for a high volume scanner, but it's crossed my mind a few times. Well, I have to recommend the Fujitsu ScanSnap. Uh, they're very good. I've had one uh, since I, well, about a year after I started. They, they work fantastic. I know a lot of solo and small practitioners appreciate them. I think mm-hmm. you need to double check whether or not you get the Mac version versus the Windows. I'm not sure if they have separate models, okay. but uh, the one I have uh, or the well, two I have, they've worked fantastic. All right, well, let's get into the questions. What are three security measures solos and small firms should keep in mind when working with virtual paralegals? So this is a great question. We get it a lot. A lot of times, you know, when small firms and solos are starting out and they're hiring their first virtual team member, be it, you know, a contractor or an employee, you want to be sure that your client data is safe and secure. You know, that's especially depending on your practice area, you deal with some really sensitive client information, social security numbers, health information, all of that. So the first one that we see a lot is a VPN is, you know, 
the team member is using their computer, but they might go into a remote, a remote desktop type situation um, using that VPN where they're actually doing the work uh, somewhere else, but they're sitting in you know, whatever state they're in. So that's one that we see a lot. We also see a lot of LastPass for passwords. Password sharing is really tricky. You know, you don't want it to get in the wrong hands. If you have to offboard a team member, you want to be sure that that password stays secure. So LastPass is probably the most common password system that we see. We also have, you know, clients who will provide laptops. You know, I personally did some virtual paralegal work for a, I believe it was a Fortune 500. Um, and they actually sent me a laptop and they said, this is what you're going to use. This is your, they also sent me a key fob with a code on it to make sure that everything was secure. So that's definitely a good option. You know, so there are a few things. Do you see small pra- uh, small practitioners or solo attorneys sending laptops like that? It's hit or miss, truthfully. I know in other practice areas, it's very common. Again, when you're dealing with that family law, you know, even bankruptcy, I've seen it happen. Situations where the attorney really wants to be sure that the antivirus software is up to date, mm-hmm. that the the software that they're using, the license is up to date, you know, whatever that looks like. I don't necessarily see it a ton in the IP space because a lot of what we um, ends up becoming public pretty quickly. So not a lot is top secret or sensitive data, but in other practice areas, absolutely. It's, you know, they will, attorneys who are growing their practice will use some of their end of year, you know, funds for those tax purposes and buy additional equipment. So I'm going to go backwards just a little bit. What is your favorite antivirus? I use McAfee. And why do you like McAfee? I think because it's a consistent brand that I've known for a long time. I think my scan runs automatically once a week and then I get the alerts. I also pay for the additional, you know, dark web, you know, credit coverage, you know, all the extras. And why do you like LastPass? It is really convenient for sharing passwords. So you as the account owner can easily go in and put everything in there. Mm-hmm. And then you can very easily share out to many team members. So my team in particular. So talking a little bit about our company. So I have 10 team members all across the country, but we support about a hundred small firms and solos. Okay. So all of those passwords, we have a ton of passwords that we have to manage. And so the most secure way that we found to do it, and we will have natural attrition on our team members as well. And so we don't want, you know, a team member who leaves us to go with an attorney's password to something else, to email, to practice management systems. We deal a lot with practice management. And so LastPass has become a really great way for people to set up a free account that we can share it with with team members and keep it secure. So lastly, when you're talking about VPN, Mm -hmm. now, typically, I mean, I understand that to mean virtual private network. You talked about logging into other computers, I guess, remotely. Do you use a VPN when you're surfing the net? That's a good question. That's not something that I've ever done. We've historically come across the VPN system when it comes to logging into our client calendar system. When we have to add dates to their deadlines or add dates to their calendars, Mm -hmm. um, or if we have to do a portfolio audit. We do have clients who have very large brands that they manage. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those brands, given the nature, if they are a public company, if they deal in, you know, maybe a more sensitive practice area, you know, trademark brand space, 
then we'll see that they want us to access their systems using a VPN. But for general internet browsing, I don't typically, I don't know that I've ever used a VPN for that. Um, but, you know, I think it's a good option if that's what you're doing, especially if you're going to work from somewhere that's not your house and your home network. So do you use a VPN when you're out and about? I actually don't tend to work anywhere but my house. I, okay. When I do go out, I will check my email. You know, I don't have a policy of going to work at the coffee shop or going to work at a co-working space. I don't find that I'm particularly productive there. So I don't, but I do always cringe a little bit when I hear that people in the legal field sort of do all of these things and may or may not have a locked down network or if it's open to the public at a coffee shop. Right. Uh, you just, you don't know what you're getting. Right. Absolutely. Well, then, but what about in your personal life? You don't use a VPN there? Like if you're out of Starbucks or traveling out and about? I don't. <laughs> Maybe Ooh. I should, but Ooh. I know. Ooh, because does LastPass allow you to sync across different devices, to sync your account or share your account across different devices, your own devices? Yes, it does. So LastPass is attached to a browser. So when you go into that browser then your LastPass account is attached to it. Mine happens to be... So I only have LastPass set up on... I'm going to call it Internet Explorer. It's retired, but that's where I have it yes. set up. It died yesterday. Exactly. Uh, actually, and I apologize. I think I screwed that question up because what I should have said is, don't you use a VPN for your private stuff when you're out and about? Because LastPass is your password monitor. Right. But your VPN is your internet for your internet traffic going back and forth from your device. Aren't you worried right. about someone, you know, sniffing you at a Starbucks or at an airport or somewhere online and may get hold of, you know, personal information, other passwords or other information that, you know, quite frankly, this is none of their business. I think that on some level, that's a part of life. I would love to think that we're all super buttoned up and secure and everything else, but I think the reality is that's not the world that we typically live in. I mean, even look at privacy legislation, right? Mm -hmm. I, when, before I started Delegate, I worked in a um, private equity firm and I became their essentially privacy officer. And so I went through a bunch of training with IAPP, which is the International Association of Privacy Professionals. And I sat through a big training and it was great. But the reality is, I don't believe that our society has caught up to where this legislation might be headed or sort of where we're going and um, all of the precautions that we could be taking. Um, and that's a perfect example of it. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, let's get into question number two. What is a tech stack? And what are three ways attorneys can set up some basic tech stacks? Sure. So at the very fundamental level, a tech stack is the technology that you're using to run your law practice, plain and simple. That can look different to different practice areas and to different attorneys. So if you think about it, if you decide tomorrow you're going to wake up and start your own law practice, you're going to need a computer, especially if you're going to be virtual, which almost everybody is now. You're going to need a computer. You're going to need an email system to run on that computer. I mean, you know, people, you know, we've even sort of fielded phone calls from attorneys where they're saying, well, do you recommend Outlook or do you recommend Gmail, you know, what are pros and cons? And of course, there are pros and cons to both, you know, especially uh, now with the way that you can integrate so many things using other types of technology, you can create right. those automations and workflows. So starting at the computer with the email, you're getting your software, but then you're building up into additional automations that you might want to have. So what about your practice management system? How do you want your practice to run? Do you want it to be 
fully automated? Do you want it to be pretty, right? There are systems out there that weren't necessarily created for the legal field, but have been retrofit that are very aesthetically pleasing to a client. And that matters to attorneys, depending on you know what you're doing and who your client is. Um, what about your phone? I mean, who's going to answer your phone? Who are you going to use a company that is just virtual receptionists? Are you going to have you know, a voice over IP system that rings on a different line? Are you going to use something like Google Voice where you have a number that goes into your phone? You know, these are some considerations that you, know, you don't typically think of when you decide, oh, I'm going to open up my law practice tomorrow. You know, what about your own network security? What's your router look like? Can you lock it down? Is it password protected? Do you offer guest access with a different password? Do you have your own antivirus software? Did you get cybersecurity insurance? And that's not necessarily a component of your tech stack, but it really is when you're thinking about all these pieces that you need to put together. Um, if you get an attack on your system, you're going to want to have that insurance in place, and that's going to matter to your clients. And I would guess that it goes hand in hand with your malpractice insurance. I don't know that, but I would venture to guess that that's probably, if you're going to get malpractice insurance, they probably want to check to see if you have cybersecurity insurance as well. You know, and then you, of course, have your, your hard hardware, right? Mm. So your monitors, your keyboards, you know, whatever you're going to do, if you want anything else. You know, one of the things that I'm seeing more and more is this idea of just a freestanding external monitor. You know, when you do travel, if you want to go work from the beach and you don't want to take your full setup, you want to just pop open a spare monitor. So you still got your two monitors going, you know, is that something that's important to you? You know, and then you want to look at, and what we work a lot with at Delegate is project management systems. So when you're starting out, you likely, maybe you do, and if you do, fantastic, have a huge caseload that needs to be project managed right out of the gate. But that's, of course, everybody's goal. You want to get to that point where you've got a full caseload, self-sustaining, you know, continuing to go. And so you want to be able to manage all of that. If you're in the IP space in particular, you know, patents, trademarks, copyright, docketing system is crucial. All of those deadlines you have to manage that are uh, hard deadlines, can't miss them, can't call the court and file a motion for an extension, not an option. And so docketing, a docketing system is really important in IP law. So, you know, those are just some of the things to think about that, that really encompass what a tech stack is. All right. So that being said, I'm going to go back on some of your answers. I'm going to mm-hmm. sort of give you some either ors, if I may. So regarding having email for work, do you recommend, or well, actually, I'll say this, do you prefer Google Mail, Outlook, or having your own domain? So I use, we use Google Mail through our own domain. So I, you know, we use Google Workspace. I think I can actually flip a coin on Outlook or a Google domain or Google Workspace. What I like about Google and the Workspace in general, and I know that Microsoft is getting there, but I really enjoy the collaborative tool. I really enjoy that if I'm working in a Google Sheet, my team can see what I'm doing in real time. I have not necessarily found that to be rep, you know, replicated within the Microsoft suite, though if I'm wrong, please tell me. But this, this real-time nature of uh, the Google Workspace system is what I really appreciate. And I really think it comes down to what your personal preference is. There are definitely aspects of Outlook that are not replicated in Google Mail. You know, and sometimes, well, now I think the bugs are worked out, but for a while, even sending invitations, meeting invitations from Google Mail to Outlook and vice versa didn't always translate properly on the calendars because Google had you know, come out and said they're going to create this unique product. Well, they actually created a product that wasn't fully integratable. I don't even know if that's a word, right? So now that's much better. But that's 
I think you could flip a coin and it would really come down to what do you feel most comfortable with? I'm not sure there's a wrong answer. Fair enough. All right. Well, then I have to ask, what is your favorite practice management software? So I use Clio. That's what I've used out of the gate. I enjoy Clio. I think that there are some updates that they could do with some automations and a few more integrations, but I know they're working to, to do all of that. I really, so one of the things we didn't really talk about as part of your tech stack is your payment processor. And so I used Gravity Legal out of the gate. I really was a big fan of Gravity Legal, but they never 100% integrated into Clio. And Clio had LawPay. Yes. And LawPay didn't accept me as the owner of a paralegal business, not a law firm, as a customer. So they wouldn't set up my account. So I would use Gravity Legal and then I would go into Clio and mark payments paid. Now that Clio has their own payment processor, I do still use both. There are benefits to Gravity Legal. We've done extensive analysis into percentages, when it makes sense to use one versus the other. And we have it down to a science on cool. you know, what we use for what amount. But now that Clio has a fully integrated uh, bill pay system, it's, I, we use that a little bit more. But we have clients that use Clio for everything, document storage, task lists co-counseling rates, all the things. So that's the one that we use. All right. Phones, uh, sort of an either or. Landline, Google Voice, or VoIP? No to landline. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's, and, let's cut that one out. Uh, actually, let, me add, let me add one more in there. All right. So you cut that out. That's fine. But let me add one more. Cell phones. I struggle with using a cell phone if you're not the business owner. So if it's your law practice, you're the owner, it's your phone, your choice, if they're going to all ring to you, or if you're going to set up alternative arrangements. What I don't love is when team members use their personal phones in an unsecured manner or in a, I think, you know, who's paying for that? Who's paying for that time? I just think that brings up more questions. So however you want to address it in your firm is great. I think cell phones are the way of the world. Personally, I have a Google Voice number that rolls into my phone. My clients know both my you know, real cell phone number and my Google Voice number. And it really comes down to area code. So Google Voice number is a local Arizona area code and my personal cell phone is not. So I think that matters for optics. Okay, fair enough. And the nice thing with some of these VoIP companies, including Google Voice, is that you can either have it automatically send to your cell phone or you have an app of some sort that allows you to dial from your cell phone, but hide your cell phone number and just use the app assigned phone number. Correct. Which, and that's what I typically do and just, you know, give the appropriate clerk the right access to the right number and they're good to go. So the last thing I want to, well, actually two more things, well, three more things. <laughs> so yeah, I'm looking at my list. So cybersecurity insurance. Now, not all bars require malpractice insurance, believe it or not. Wow. Okay. And I don't know. So I'm in DC and it does not require malpractice insurance. And I could go off on my opinion about malpractice insurance in another episode, but I won't. That being said, though, I don't know if all the states that do require malpractice insurance require cybersecurity insurance. Why does an attorney want to have cybersecurity insurance? That's a great question, but the answer is pretty simple. You're dealing with sensitive data. It doesn't matter what your practice area is. I mean, even in something as relatively public as trademark law, right? You're still collecting 
payment information from your clients, your still names, addresses, phone numbers, maybe there's some history there, if there's a sensitive mark or, you know, something that maybe it was a trademark that was part of a, a divorce. And so somebody got one half the trademark and somebody else got the other and you need to sort out the mess. And so that alone, you know, and if you're doing litigation, you know, you're dealing with damages potentially and big numbers and what something might be valued at. So cybersecurity insurance can essentially, you know, protect your network if somebody gets in and, you know, crashes your computer or if there's a ransomware situation, you know, anything on that front. And it's, in my opinion, you know, having looked at, you know, the privacy laws and all of these issues and, you know, potential exposures, I don't see a downside to having cybersecurity insurance. And it's not very expensive. I'll just add, in my experience. Well, do they just cover the repair and recoupment of data or do they cover and or do they cover like if clients credit card information or other information gets out there in the public and they lose money because of it? So that's a good question. I'm guessing there's a combination where you would have that insurance. I, in my experience or my my policy, it covers the quantifiable loss. So if you can say my network was attacked, I lost $25,000 and there's a claim you can file. But what I believe to be the case, and I would actually love to fact check this, is when they cover it, they probably what is it, subrogate down to the payment processor because ultimately the payment processor is where it would have been held. But if you're storing that credit card information on your system and your system mm-hmm. gets hacked, that's a problem. Right. Okay. So what is your favorite second monitor to use while on the road? I don't have one, ironically. I just tend to work from my laptop. I love my Surface Pro. I This is my third or fourth one that I've had. I'm pretty loyal. Did you get the newest one, the one that just came out? I have the one version before that. Okay. Yep. And how, how do you like that? Uh, I like it. It's really lightweight, but I would caution. So learning from my own experience, The Microsoft surfaces are not intended to be run for hours on end as a desktop replacement, right? If you don't want to have a tower, you can put the docking station in. I burned through three of them. So learn from me and don't do that. So they're fantastic. I love traveling with them. They make life so much easier. But there is a reason that I have the tower and then the laptop as well. Fair enough. I I have a Surface Go, I think. And it's, I'm not happy with it. I got for the, the blog and I find it to be, no offense, under, underwhelming in power. And okay. I don't like Windows. Okay. Don't, don't like Windows 10. Don't like Windows 11. Although a Windows 11 is a little bit better, but that's a, a debate we can get into another time. <laughs> I think. So my last backtracking question is, do you use any third-party docketing software? We use a ton. So Alt Legal is one that we use that's the most common. It's really a great software for small firms and solos with, you know, that are in the trademark space. It's not very expensive. It has quirks and we certainly work with our clients and we work very closely with Alt Legal to manage that. But we use Alt Legal all the time. We also work with a system called WebTMS, which is another one. And then probably the you know, sort of granddaddy of trademark docketing systems is something called CPI. And it's been around for 100 years. And it's really great for large portfolios. So 
trademark docketing systems are really personal preference driven, but also a lot driven by portfolio size and how big your portfolio is internationally. If you do a lot of work overseas, it can be really helpful to have a docketing system that um, has a slightly more functionality with that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's move on to the third question. What are three ways attorneys can use technology to make sure their virtual staff are on the same page at work? For me, the easiest thing is Slack is a messaging system. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I have a remote team of 10 and we are all on Slack. We use it heavily. So that's probably the first line of communication. I know it is. Uh, what do you like about have. Slack? Why, why did Slack suddenly became, why did they suddenly become the go-to place when it came to office uh, intercommunications? So I can't confirm this, but I would love to look it up. I, I want to know if it was developed by individuals who come from the AIM generation. You remember AOL Instant Messenger, right? Yes, yes. I mean, I grew up on Prodigy, then AOL, Instant Messenger, chat rooms, and then Instant Messenger broke out into its own standalone downloadable sidebar. Yeah. So I think that's what it is. It's just AOL Instant Messenger in the 4.0 version, right? And those of us that, that heavily grew up on that, we had our AIM names, we chatted, we had our acronyms and our shortcuts and whatever. That's all this is. And so using Slack is second nature, certainly to me and my team. You know, we've used Microsoft Teams. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have clients that use it. The call functionality of Microsoft Teams, I think it's fantastic. That company that I worked with um, that sent me the laptop, they were heavily Microsoft Teams based. And we didn't even need phones. I think the only time I ever met with them, it was 100% through Microsoft Teams. And they even had a further integration with Zoom that their IT department had set up. So, so we use a lot of a lot of Microsoft Teams with them. But Slack or you know Microsoft Teams, if that's your jam, very crucial to making sure everybody's on the same page. I, you know, I think that's you know no brainer. The second thing is a project management system, right? Something that functions in real time. We use a ton of Trello. Trello runs our firm. We give it, we give a Trello board to all of our clients. So part of onboarding with us is getting a Trello board with your entire portfolio built out on it for you. So you can get a visual of where your applications are at, what the status of different cases. And then we also have turned it into a document repository. So if we are, you know, doing work for you, we're going to return that work to you on your Trello board. So it's now living there. So when you look at your Trello card, you can see the, the full history for that for that mark. And then it keeps it out of email. You know, we all get so many emails. Keeping it in Trello in a workspace keeps it centralized um, and makes it a little bit easier. And it's in real time as well. So, you know, you can tag your team members. So if you're setting up a virtual firm and you've got somebody in New York, Texas, Nebraska, you can see in real time when that project's getting done and getting put back up on that Trello card. Slack and Trello are crucial. Another way to make sure they're on the same page is, and this isn't necessarily technology, but it is, is 15 minute, a 15 minute weekly check-in. And this is, I think, crucial for two reasons. One, it makes sure the work is getting done and gives you, you know, two minutes to, to do a check. But also, I think it helps to build some culture. You know, when you think about virtual law firms, virtual staff, it's very rare that you ever meet anyone in person and you don't have that water cooler talk. You know, I was on a call with somebody the other day and they were fascinated with my business and said, well, don't you wine and dine your clients? And I said, I've never met half my clients. You know, I've probably met 25% of them 
at industry conferences or if they're coming to Phoenix because we're a resort town. So so it's just a little bit of a different system. And so I think that the 15-minute check-in, whether or not you keep them each week, though you should, I think having that time built out on everybody's calendar, regardless of time zone, is really crucial to making sure everybody's on the same page. And if you get into that meeting and it becomes a conversation where you need to take it offline, you're having that right there and you're able to say, okay, I'll call you back in 10 minutes when we're done. You know, we really need to talk about this. And I think that can go a long way. Well, you know, it's funny, pre-pandemic, I basically would meet with my staff once a week. And then we started the pandemic and everything's just kind of turned completely remote. Mm -hmm. And we'd have like, we, we would occasionally have staff meetings, but not really often because everyone was sort of in a different place. Mm-hmm. And I got a couple of comments. I always do like an exit interview with anyone who works with me. And I usually ask them, one of the questions is, what are three things you didn't like about working here? And I was getting a couple of, well, I feel too isolated, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm stuck at home or I'm stuck at a coffee shop mm-hmm. or whatever. And I just, I don't see anybody when it comes to work. And I started doing a weekly Zoom meeting, office Zoom meeting. So it doesn't matter where you are. We have a Zoom meeting at three o'clock on Mondays and, you know, everyone gets to kind of share what they're doing. And I can sort of like rearrange what people are doing. If I realize like this person has too much or this person doesn't have enough mm-hmm. or they may need help, et cetera. And those, mm-hmm. those Zoom meetings seem to really have helped coalesce the, the team better. Mm-hmm. So do you, well, go, ahead. go ahead. Well, and then for me too, one of the things that I learned early on in running this virtual firm is that it's really easy to silo work. And if you're not communicating, if you're not sure or have confidence in your fellow team members, you can think that like you're living in your box doing your thing right. when that really doesn't need to be the case. Well, if I heard you correctly, I mean, you know, I see complaints or comments like, it's like, oh, I can't hire a virtual assistant, paralegal, attorney, whatever, because I don't know if I trust them. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, that goes back, like you're always going to make mistakes, but that goes back to the initial interview process that if you're not getting that trustworthy vibe, mm-hmm. when you're bringing someone on board, regardless of what industry you're in, and that you feel that you have to monitor them constantly or babysit them, then you need to learn some skills about hiring the right person. I could not agree more. And I don't know if you saw this in in the news last week, but the the firm Tully Rinky, the big federal employee employment yep. firm, that they got nailed with a ton of bar ethics violations and complaints. Mm-hmm. And part of it was they were monitoring the internet traffic and also were having video cameras on mm-hmm. their employees. I mean, that's just creepy. Yeah. I mean, if you need to really monitor them that much, you made a bad decision in who you hire. That's not to say it doesn't happen. Right. But, you know, you've got to just, you've got some people skills that you need to work on. Definitely. You know, one of the things, you know, when you sort of go back to 2020, when all of this was new, I think I had coffee with someone. I can't remember what it was, but they needed to actually have their laptop with them and hit their mouth because they needed to be logged in at a certain time and they needed to be, you know, omnipresent or whatever it was. And they couldn't take, you know, a 30 minute coffee break. I have been hearing those stories less and less as I think employers are getting more and more comfortable with the, the world that we live in. And in general, employees are becoming more productive. And I wish that would be the news that came out more frequently 
um, than the alternative that, you know, when you're letting them be virtual, work from home, be comfortable, they're actually more productive. And, you know, my team is entirely remote. Um, I have two individuals here in Arizona, but otherwise everybody's remote. And when I bring on team members and I do get that good feeling, my common, you know, statement is, I don't actually care when you work. If you, right. a lot of my team is working Same moms. Thing. Same thing. You know, if, if you want to work at 10 PM, because that's when you get your quiet time, by all means, you do you. Like it, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be nine to five. Same thing, I, you know, with a lot of law students and others, I tell them, I don't care when you work. I don't care where you work. Mm-hmm. As long as you're getting the work done, that the work is good and that you're meeting your deadlines, and that you're communicating with me. And of course, if you're not working at home on your own router, that you're using a VPN and password protecting your computer. But yeah, that flexibility, I know a lot of my former clerks and current clerks, for that matter, have appreciated that. And you know, for the most part, with the exception of a handful of people over many from the past 12 years or so, they've been doing a great job. And I appreciate mm-hmm. that. And they walk away with usually a good writing sample and also a great recommendation and, you know, reference when they need it. And I'm proud to say that, you know, several, many of my clerks have gone on to great jobs, you know, once they've graduated. I mean, I know Mm -hmm. my, you know, my job is not the end all, end all in the sense of this is where I want to be and do the rest of my life. It is, it is a training ground. Right. So that, you know, because I, I give real work, but forgive me, I'm talking a little bit too much about me. It's okay. Uh, and not about you. So let me ask you this one question before we, we sign off. You're a Windows person. Do you have any staff that are Mac? And if so, do you have any transfer of information issues? And how do you address we do. that? We do. We have two team members that have Mac. Mm-hmm. We had to troubleshoot when it first uh, happened. We weren't aware that they had a Mac. We've now since learned as part of our hiring process. Do you have a PC or a Mac? We have, uh, I believe that my director of operations has installed the Word version, or the Windows versions of Word onto both of their systems. So okay. we've eliminated that. It mostly comes down to Word. It doesn't typically, that's about the only system that we have an issue with. Um, we don't deal a lot in Excel. We don't deal, nobody's making PowerPoints. So it's really word when it comes to drafting client correspondence is where we see the, the struggle. But initially, we couldn't understand why the formatting was so wrong. And then we figured it out. We also have a client who only deals in Mac. Okay. And doesn't have any Windows conversion. We have several clients that deal in Mac, but they all have, you know, a Windows conversion transfer of information that's, that's good. But we have one that doesn't. And so with her, we only deliver things to her in PDF. Fair enough. So that's just the workaround that we've come up with. But yes, we definitely have come up against that. Well, I, I don't know. I hate to share with you, I guess, that I say 90 to 95% of the law students that I bring on have a Mac. Now, mind you, the 5 to 10% that do have Windows, you know, I find workarounds. I usually don't have issues with the briefs. You know, I've been, let's see, you said you've been working with computers for 30 years, if I heard mm-hmm. that correctly. I've mm-hmm. been doing it for 40 years. So, you know, when it comes to formatting a document quickly or making those kind of changes, I can usually mm-hmm. just do it in a snap. But I'm right behind you, as they say. Well, excellent. Uh, Lindsay, I appreciate everything you shared today. Where can people find you? So my website is delegate.legal, one of those new top line, top GTLDs. 
So it's really easy. Lindsay at delegate.legal. That was an interesting adoption when I decided to come out with that as my brand. I had probably six or eight weeks of, do you mean delegatelegal.com, delegate.legal.com, whatever? Nope, straight up delegate.legal. So that's good. I'm, you know, happy to connect on tech questions, stacks, builds. You know, if you're coming out of a big firm, even out of law school and you decide you're going to hang your own shingle and you don't know where to start, give us a call. We're happy to help. We build a lot of workflows, um, a lot of automation. You know, we do a, a ton of integration with different systems, you know, different practice management systems, and we're happy to help. Well, I invite you to provide any and all of that information in our show, for our show notes. And I'll make sure that the listener gets access to that. Sounds great. But I want to thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining me on this episode of the TechSavvyLawyer.page podcast. Our next episode will be posted in about two weeks. If you have any ideas about a future episode, please contact me at michaeldj at the TechSavvyLawyer.page. Have a great day and happy luring.